Leviticus chapter 26. The title of this morning's message is uh, Wives of Obedience. We're looking in the, the third book of the Old Testament, Leviticus. And that book, it, it essentially it details the worship of God's redeemed people, the people that the Lord had uh, brought out or led out of the land of Egypt. He had delivered them uh, much the same way, uh, we figuratively at least, as He delivers us from sin when He saves Christians. And so there, there are parallels here, and that's what I'd like us to see as we look through this. It's a, Essentially, we could say that the, the book of Leviticus, it's a book of preparation. Because as they're going through the wilderness, they're, they're approaching the promised land. What we see a picture of is God's chosen people were about to enter God's chosen land where they would be serving Him for the rest of their lives. That's essentially the picture that we see of the wilderness wanderings. Now, they didn't enter the land, we know, as God had uh, initially intended. They rejected the when, when Moses sent spies into the land. They came back and said, it's a great land. God said it was a land flowing with milk and honey. Oh, it is. Look at the fruit we brought back. And when you, look, when you hear the description of the, the, just the, the clusters of grapes and, and fruit that they brought back, and they had to bring it back on sticks held between two men carrying it. You ever seen a cluster of grapes like that? I'm going to tell you what, I've, I have, over the years I have uh, developed an incredible taste for dates. I love those things. Those, uh, it starts with an M, and I can't think of what it's called. I'm pretty sure it starts with an M. It's... I'm sorry. Muscadine. No, it's it's dates. It's a kind of date, but those things are huge, and they're they're oh, they're just delicious. And I can only imagine those people bringing dates back with those were clusters of raisins, and and they said, yeah, this is a beautiful place, but you know, those giants that live in the land, we can't go there. We can't. We, you know, God was powerful enough to deliver us from Pharaoh and his army, but he was powerful enough to bring us through the Red Sea, but he can't deliver us from those giants that live over there. And so God. He said, okay, because of that disobedience, because you didn't trust me, you're not going to live in the land. Those of you 20 years old and upward, the ones who made this decision, you're going to die in the wilderness. And yet the promise was still there. God's chosen people were going to get to God's chosen land. And when they got there, they're going to be expected to serve Him. And so when they got there, there were going to be two paths. And we see this as we look through the Old Testament. Two divergent paths. One was a path of obedience, wasn't it? And where did that path lead them? It led them to God's abundant blessing, didn't it? When they obeyed. There was another path that so many of the people took. That was a path of disobedience. And I want you to understand the path of disobedience then as it does now for God's people. Now remember, these were still God's delivered people even though they disobeyed Him. The parallel here is for Christians, we've been delivered. We, have, we are God's chosen people. Still two paths. One is obedience. The other is disobedience. And that path for God's chosen people, that path of disobedience leads to God's deliberate chastisement. When chastisement comes into our lives, make no mistake about it, God brought it there intentionally. When you had little children roaming around in your house and they did something they weren't supposed to do, something you had told them specifically not to do, or they failed to obey something that you told them to do, what did you do? Hopefully as good parents you brought some chastisement into their lives. You corrected that, didn't you? And that was very deliberate on your part, was it not? It wasn't an accident 
The child didn't go to school. If they ended up with a sore bottom, they didn't walk around saying, you know, I accidentally had a, a switch get hold of me. I, I, when I was little, it was a switch. Or, and sometimes, the, I shouldn't say this, it's been recorded, I guess. Sometimes it was the business end of a fly swatter, maybe, that, that found its way in contact with my leg or something. I didn't walk around saying, you know, I got a welt on my leg and it's, it's an accident. No, it was a very deliberate act of chastisement on the, parent, on the part of one of my parents, maybe both. You know, we all lived through that, didn't we? We need to understand when there's disobedience in the life of a Christian, the chastisement is very deliberate. God brings it. Is it to judge us, to punish us? No, Jesus Christ paid the price of our punishment. It's to remind us, you disobeyed me. You've, you've got to stop doing that. You're a child of in my family. You need to obey the family rules. If you want to eat at the, at the Father's table, you obey the Father's table manners, as one, one commentator has put it. So we need to remember that there's two paths. The one we're going to be talking about this morning, though, is a path of obedience. And it is a path of abundant blessing. So I'm going to start reading Leviticus chapter 26, and verse 1. God uh, speaking through Moses here, he says, You shall make you no idols, nor grave an image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase. He's talking about the benefits here. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And your, your threshing shall reach unto the vintage, and the vintage shall reach unto the sowing time. And you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. And I'll give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. And I will rid evil beasts out of the land. Neither shall the sword go through your land. And you shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. And five of you shall chase an hundred, and an hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. For I will have respect unto you, and make you fruitful, and multiply you, and establish my covenant with you. And you shall eat old store, and bring forth the old because of the new. And I will set my tabernacle among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you, and will be your God, and ye shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their bondmen. And I've broken the bands of your yoke and made you go upright. Let's pray once more. Father, thank you for the words of the scripture that we just read. A land of, uh, or words of, of an enormous uh, amount of blessing that would follow your people, Israel, if they would simply obey you. If they would recognize that you were their God and there was no other God beside you if they would step away from the idols that the, they had seen the people of Egypt worship, the idols that they would see the people in the Promised Land worshiping when they got there. He warned them specifically, stay away from that. Worship me. I'm the one who will have fellowship with you. I'm the one who will uh, bestow upon you blessings you can't even count. And yet, Lord, we know from, uh, from Scripture that uh, many of them failed to do that. They turned away from you. Father, as Christians, we have the same paths set before us, the path of obedience or the path of disobedience. And we pray that we, as we look at these uh, verses today, Lord, that you would lead each person here who has trusted Jesus Christ to stay on the path of obedience. 
to follow what you've encouraged us to do, what you've told us to do in your word, and stay away from that path of disobedience. If there's any here today who is on the path of disobedience, Lord, show it to us. Help us to recognize it clearly and to get off that path as quickly as we can. By the grace of God, we commit this time to you and ask you to speak to us through your word. May the Holy Spirit move among us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to look first of all, as we've seen in this passage, I want us to look first of all at some characteristics of obedient people. Just a few of them. The first one that I think we can see here, and we see it in verse 1, obedient people will worship only the Lord. No one else and no thing else. It says in verse 1, You shall make you no idols, nor graven image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Very clear. We've talked about this in, in recent messages, I think, how... Uh, idolatry is a very bad thing. And I'm not bringing it up multiple times because I think that there's people in here that have some statue that you come and worship when you get there. Uh, That's not the point. The point is we live in a land that is full of idol worship. And we've got to be very careful as Christians that we don't go down that path. Because we've got to make sure that there are no false gods among us. Nothing that we put more preeminence on than we put on the God of Scripture. Anything that takes attention away from Him can become an idol in our lives. That's, that's fairly easy to understand, isn't it? And it, can, it could be a false idea about God, and we live in a country where that happens a lot. People will say, well, I worship God, and if you were to ask them to describe the God they worship, it wouldn't in any way align with what the Scriptures tell us about God. They've got some of the wildest ideas. When you talk to people, well, I serve a God who, well, yeah, He's my friend. And he loves everybody, and he would never allow anyone to go to a place that you Christians call hell. Well, I'm sorry, but the Scripture has a lot to say about a place called hell, doesn't it? People who fail to put their trust in Jesus Christ have said, That's, that is my future, and I'm okay with that. It's not okay. That is a place of eternal damnation, a place where there is no hope for for redemption after this life is over. Once we've drawn our last breath, we don't have hope after that, do we? And so we've got to be sure that we we make sure the people around us, if they've got some false idea of who God is, and they've got some false idea, well, it doesn't matter whether I believe in that guy you call Jesus or not. I'm, I'm okay. No, they're not. And we've got to be sure they know it. That's why we go over this. And certainly, please don't leave here thinking, well, Clint thinks we've got, we're all idol worshipers. No, that's not the point at all. But we, know, we may know people who are, and they don't even realize it. So we've got to be careful, because we have a responsibility to share God's Word with them. So they're not, we're, we as Christians, the God's chosen people of Israel in the day that these words were written, and we as Christians today, we're to have no false gods, no false ideas about gods, no idols whatsoever. We live in a land that's full of idols, don't we? People worship all kinds of things in this country. And one of the things that comes up so often when any preacher talks about this is a shiny sports car, right? A shiny sports car can become an idol. I've known people that a shiny pocket watch passed down from a great-grandfather or something could become an idol too because it was so important to them. It could be anything. It could be the shiny red KitchenAid mixer that you've wanted so long. You know, that, I mean, if you put too much emphasis in that, surely you get my point, don't you? I'm not trying to, I am being a bit facetious, and I, I was intended 
to do that. But the idea is no false gods, none, period. That's what God is, is getting across here in verse 1. There should be none. There's nothing that should take our preeminence away from the Lord. And notice when he says here, I am the Lord your God. Again, it's that Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It is the name Jehovah. It is the self-existent God. And that is very important. We are not to uh, allow money, fame, position, anything we have, nothing to take priority over God. We're also not to allow ourselves to take preeminence over God because, again, we live in a society that loves to throw around terms like downtime or me time. How many times have you heard that? I, I, who, when someone says, well, I'm going to have some me time, I'm like, please don't do that because you could very easily raise yourself above worshiping the God that you're supposed to be worshiping and start worshiping yourself. And Scripture, if it doesn't do anything else, it warns us against thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to, doesn't it? We've got to worship only God. Remember the first commandment? Well, you don't have to turn here. It's Exodus 20. I'm going to read, starting in verse 3, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. You have an idol, God says, that means you hate me. You don't love me. And then he says, but... He says, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. There's that path of blessing again. God will bless those who love him, won't he? Why? Why does he tell us how they will have no gods? You haven't missed it yet, have you? Why? I am the Lord is what he says. There is no other. Don't be worshiping something that's not real. Worship me. I've shown myself to you. That's what the Lord says. So obedient people will worship only the Lord. The second thing we see here, obedient people will honor God's time of worship and God's place of worship. That seems so simple, doesn't it? Both of them, however, are, are regularly violated in our country by people who call themselves Christians. God's place of worship and God's time of worship are violated regularly in this country by people who will say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, okay, so you go to church. Well... Not real often. I go sometimes. Well, are you a Christian or not? Do you love the Lord? Do you worship the Lord? Well, yeah. Yeah, sometimes. It was, it's really sad that we, we you know, we, we don't live right around the church here. We have a bit of a drive. We drive by a Catholic place of worship on Sunday mornings, and the parking lot is so full, and, and there's just no place to park. We drive by Baptist churches on the way here where there might be four or five cars and then this huge parking lot. What kind of testimony is that? People driving by like, is that church? Does that church even meet anymore? My son-in-law and I were were driving down the road to get to to their house the other day from our house. And he says, what's going on with that church right there? And we passed one. He says, is that place closed now? And I said, I really don't know. He said, I never see a car out there. He said, every now and then I'll drive by and there'll be one car sitting out there. Isn't that a sad testimony? But it happens, doesn't it? People don't want to to pay attention to God's place of worship and God's time of worship. He mentions specifically Sabbaths. And we know that. 
He says, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Sabbath day was the Jewish day of worship. It was a day of rest. There was to be absolutely no work done on the Sabbath. And we, we talked about that. It was the last week or week before the, the Lord Jesus actually made some clay on the Sabbath day, just a little bit, so he could put it on a, a little poultice on the blind man's eyes. You know, people got all been out of shape over. They can't even make a little bit of clay on Saturday, on, on the Lord's day, which was Saturday, the seventh day, seventh day of the week. And so it was it was to be a day when there was no work, there was no entertainment, there was nothing to take people's attention away from the Lord. They were to, it was a, to be a holy day set apart for the Lord. First century Christians began to meet on the Lord's day, the first day of the week. It was to, I suppose, to a certain extent, maybe to draw some distinction between the Jewish religion, but also it was to commemorate the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week, which was Sunday, our Sunday. So first century Christians do that. But sadly, there's an awful lot of 21st century Christians who their time to meet is, well, when it's convenient. You know, when I can make it, I'll be there. When I don't have something better, that's more often the case, isn't it? If there's something that, that comes up that's a little more important to me, then I'll do that instead. It's really sad, isn't it? Am I accusing? Again, I'm not accusing anyone of doing anything, but we live in a nation where this is the, the habit. That's why there are so many churches that the parking lots are virtually empty almost any Sunday because something else has come up, something better. So he says, you're to keep my Sabbath. And then he says, you're to reverence my sanctuary. That term reverence, it literally means to honor something, to extremely honor something. He said, you honor my sanctuary. And that term, in this context, that term, tongue-tied, that term sanctuary, it means a consecrated place. A consecrated place. This is a consecrated place, this building that we're meeting in, because it is a place where we come together to worship the Lord. The Jews were told you are to reverence the place of worship. Now we know that initially when they set up uh, their, their official, their organized religion, even there in the wilderness, it was a tabernacle. Do you remember what the tabernacle was? Was it a building like this? No, it was a tent. It was a very elaborate tent. And Great pains were taken to make sure that all the tent poles and the, 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 the surroundings, the curtains, the roofing, all of it came together perfectly. And they would disassemble that. They would move it to a different place. They would assemble it, and everything was perfect. They're in the desert. I can't even imagine there being a speck of dust inside that tent when they got it erected because they took it so seriously. They reverenced the sanctuary. Christians ought to have the same attitude toward the church, shouldn't we? Because we're not, it's not as, as though the, the Jews, yes, they were following, they were worshiping the Lord according to His Word. We're given the promise we've been born into His family. We are children of God. We should take the place of worship very seriously, shouldn't we? We should reverence it. And yet we live in a country where regularly people want to bring their refreshments. It's like going to a movie theater. You almost expect some people to come into a church building with popcorn and a Coke. We actually went to a church with some folks probably two decades ago. One gentleman came in with a Mountain Dew every Sunday morning. 
And I'm like, what are you doing? This is the house of God. We don't need to be bringing that stuff in here. Occasionally, yeah, preachers have often had a, a cup of water sitting on the podium because they, you know, I get tongue-tied. Some people get a real dry mouth and they need a sip of water. That's one thing. But we don't need to be bringing coffee and donuts and all that kind of stuff and snackage into church. I, I'll honestly, it may be, it may have been an honest thing that was introduced by people bringing an M&M to give to their little kids to keep them quiet when they got little. But those little kids grew up thinking church, the sanctuary is the place to have M&Ms or some other whatever it might be. We've got to be careful about that sort of thing. We have to keep this as the sanctuary of God. This is the house of God. So we need to remember that. Again, why do we remember that? He tells us again, because I am the Lord. I am the one you're worshiping, so make sure you do this. Obedient people will worship only the Lord. Obedient people will honor God's time and place of worship. Third thing we see is obedient people will be led by the Word of God. Verse 3, he's about to talk about all kinds of blessings that will be given to his people, but he says, if you walk in my statutes, if you will be led by his Word. His Word is provided as a guide to us. I'm going to read a couple of references here. Psalm 119.105 says, Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It shows the way we ought to go. Uh, Psalm 1 the first couple of verses tell us, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. We need to walk in the light of God's word, don't we? If we're going to be obedient people, that's the way we should live our lives. God's word never changes. Is that not good for you? How many times have you, have you read something? We're all, most of us are old enough here to have read things in science books that were taught to us as the truth only to find out 30 years after we graduated from high school that science has disproven something that they told us was true. We were actually taught a lot of things in school that we found out later were not true, especially as Christians. But... God's word never changes. Psalm 119, verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Matthew 24, verse 34, Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. And then he said, or the, the apostle Peter said, 1 Peter 1, 25, The word of the Lord endureth forever. Think about that word endureth. It endures. What he's telling us is God's word is durable. It never wears out. And it never needs revision. And so when the Lord could tell people in Leviticus 26, walk in my statutes, we can do the very same thing today because the Word of God hasn't changed in those intervening years and it never will. It's been established forever. We can fully trust it. We can uh, always walk in those statutes and we always have to remind ourselves, please, Remember this, if you don't remember anything else I say today, God's Word is not negotiable. We know that intuitively as Christians, don't we? We don't get to uh, cut a deal with God and say, by the way, I know you told me to do this over here, but can I do this instead? We had kids that did that, didn't we? We've known kids. We were kids that did that. Let's face it, we were kids that, well, I don't... You told me I could only have three cookies. Can I have four? No, you can have three. How about four? How about three and a half? 
in my house, my daughters would tell you, if I said you can have three cookies, and they come back, well, can we have four? You can have two. <laughs> well, can, can we have four? You can have one. <laughs> can we have the original three? Yes. Now, don't ask anymore. That's the sort of, <laughs> God doesn't do that to us. But I, I could be that kind of a parent at the end of a, of a bad day. Don't push it with daddy. Because see, mommy, she might let you have it. <laughs> but God's word is non-negotiable. We have to follow it. Obedient people will be led by it. A fourth thing, obedient people will obey the God of the Word. Not only will we follow the Word of God, we will obey the God of the Word. Verse 3 again, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, the Word of God is to be kept at all times, isn't it? And it's been said this, the Word of God is to be kept not as the miser keeps his gold, hoarded to be useless, but the Word of God is to be kept as the warrior keeps his sword. That's a much better illustration, isn't it? And we could say, yeah, I'm going to keep the Word of God, as some people might do, and I'm going to keep it in this book, and it's so pristine, and I'm going to put it in a box over here, and we'll set it on the shelf, and twice a year I'll get it out and, and smell the leather, and say, oh, this is beautiful, I love this. No, 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 no. We keep the Word of God like a warrior keeps his sword, ready to defend us, because the, Lord, the Word of God will defend us if we use it. Remember when Jesus was tempted by the devil? After his baptism, how did he defend himself against the, the wiles of the devil? With By quoting scripture to him. The devil can't stand against that. He can't stand against it if we quote scripture to him. It'll get us out of a world of trouble, won't it? Psalm 33, or Psalm 37 actually, verse 33 says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. Matthew 7, 24, Jesus said, Whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man. You want to be a wise man or woman? You obey the word of God, don't you? John 14 to 15, Jesus said at this, he made it very simple. If you love me, keep my commandments. He didn't say keep my recommendations. He didn't say keep my suggestions. If you like me, do what I suggest to you. He says keep my commandments because the God we serve is not a glorified consultant offering us advice. He is the God of all glory. And he says, if you love me, keep my commandments. So obedient people will worship only the Lord. Obedient people will honor God's time of worship and God's place of worship. Obedient people will be led by the Word of God. And obedient people will obey the God of the Word. Now, that's the characteristics that we can see here of obedient people. Now let's listen in the few minutes we have left some of the blessings that he tells us about of, of obedient people. Look at verse 4. He, gives, he tells us one of the blessings is going to be fruitfulness. Then I will give you rain in due season, and the land shall yield her increase, and the trees of the field shall yield her fruit. He says then. It's a conditional blessing. If you obey me, I'm going to give you all these blessings. If you walk in my statutes, if you keep my commandments and do them, he says then I'm going to give you this. And he says it's going to be in due season. The fruitfulness will be the result of us walking in obedience to the Lord. Won't it? John 15, 5 says, I, and Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. We know that, don't we? Without the Lord we can't do anything. What fruit does he bring forth to us? He's talking about the fruit here that's going to be here in Leviticus. The fruits are going to see in the land. 
They're going to get fruit from trees they didn't plant. They're going to get uh, all these blessings that God's going to give them. What fruit do we get as Christians, though, when we obey the Lord? We get the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. You remember what that is. It's in Galatians 5, 22. It's love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. We get that fruit in our lives. But you know what else we get if we obey the Lord? We get the blessings of being able to share our witness with other people. We share the, the, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ with people who don't know it yet. What a blessing that is. If we obey Him, He will give us that kind of fruitfulness. And He can allow us to have a part in leading someone else to Jesus Christ. What a blessing that is. Second thing that He can give us, a blessing to obedient people, He gives us peace and rest. Look at verse 6. He says, I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. Again, this was spoken directly to the Jewish people. He said, I'll take away your enemies. I'll give you peace. But to Christians, what does He give? He gives us peace, doesn't He? Psalm 23 and verse 2, He says, He maketh me, this is a... Speaking of the Lord being our shepherd, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. God does that for us. He gives us that peace. Matthew eleven twenty nine says, Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. We need rest sometimes, don't we? Because our souls can be, this. the world we live in can give us very restless souls. And He says, Take my yoke upon you. I'm going to give you rest. I'm going to give you peace. And of course, in Philippians 4 7, Paul describes the peace of God that passes all understanding. We can't even explain it to ourselves. We can't explain it to our best friends, but we know it's there because God gives us that peace. A third blessing that, that He gives obedient people is protection from evil things. Again, in verse 6, He goes further and He says, I'll rid evil beasts out of the land. Only the God we serve can remove the evil beasts spiritually speaking, that plague the Christian life. Uh, Galatians chapter 5 also tells us, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. These are the beasts that affect our Christian life. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, that is shameless conduct, uh, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, which is strife, uh, being at variance with other people, emulations, uh, we can say uh, jealousies at that point, wrath, strife, seditions, that is dissension or divisions among us, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, which is just simply carousing around, and such like. And Paul says it goes on, such like. I like that term. It goes on and on. There are so many things that can plague even Christians. But God can give us protection from those evil things if we're obedient to it. A fourth thing that He gives to obedient people is the power to overcome. Look at verse 7. And you shall chase your enemies. They shall fall before you by the sword, and five of you shall chase an hundred. And an hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. By the sword. What is that sword? What is the sword that we as Christians have that can defeat our enemies? It's the Word of God. Ephesians 6.17 We're told, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Again, if Jesus could use the sword of the Spirit, which was the Word of God, to turn away Satan, we can do the very same thing. We have that promise. Who's our enemies? Ephesians 6 tells us that as well. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, 
against spiritual wickedness in high places. It's demonic powers that are our true enemies. It's not ourselves. We can fight among ourselves, and we do that sometimes, even as Christians, don't we? It's the devil and the demonic influences. Those are the spiritual enemies that we have, but he gives us the power to overcome them. A fifth thing that he gives us, uh, blessings as obedient people, he gives us his favor. Look at verse 9. We read there, I will have respect unto you and make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my covenant with you. God will have respect unto us if we obey Him. We see His favor. Romans 8.28, we, we all know that. All things work together <clears throat> for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. We also read Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, where we read this, He has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. God will show favor to obedient Christians. A sixth blessing that we have when we follow the path of obedience is just abundant blessings. Verse 10, we read, And ye shall, have, ye shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new. The, I see the picture there of, I, I grew up in the South, as many of you, most of you probably did. We canned all kinds of stuff in the summertime. And there were beans and there were um, corn and there were preserves, there were pickles and all of this stuff. And the next, or the picture I see here is you're going to eat all that old stuff that you did and when the next year's harvest comes, you're going to have so much old stuff, you're going to have to push it out of the way just to make room for the new stuff. I'm going to continue to bless you continually if you will obey me. The, the image then, it's a full pantry when the new harvest comes in. Obedience, we're told then, it brings us abundant blessings, physical blessings and spiritual blessings. And there is no rationing when God begins to bless obedient people. We don't have to share it. We don't have to say, well, God, I'll only use a little bit of the blessing today because I've got to save some more. No, God's going to continue to give it hand over fist to us. A seventh thing that we see a blessing for obedient people is fellowship with God Himself. And this is probably the best of all when you really think about it. Verse 12, And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I say to you, no greater promise has ever been made than that God will walk among His people and He will be with them. He will be their God. Remember, now, we don't do things for God. We don't obey God just so we get stuff from Him, do we? We know that. We obey Him because we love Him. And that simple obedience brings about blessings that, that we can't even count. We can't number them all. And what is that obedience? We worship God alone. We honor His time and His place of worship. We obey His Word. And then we do His will. And then we begin to see these blessings. But we, I, do, I, can't, I can't finish without the other side, that other path that you can take. I'll have to mention it. Disobedience brings chastisement. And we see that in verses 14 and following. Uh, we won't get to that today, but it's, it's kind of a dark page of uh, what happens when we disobey. Christians who live in disobedience can expect God's chastisement. It will always come. And it's come uh, to, or it comes, to correct us, to get us back on the right path. Because uh, failed, we fail to receive the blessings and we forfeit His fellowship. But the good news is that that forgiveness and restoration are always available. Scripture is very clear on that. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Those words were written to Christians. We will always be able to be restored. 
But as I close, I also have to say these two paths that we've been talking about, the path of obedience, the path of disobedience, that's for Christians. If someone has never trusted Christ, it's a completely different story, isn't it? The, what, uh, someone who uh, refuses to put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not chastisement that they're facing, it's judgment. The same judgment that Jesus Christ took, they have to pay that price themselves. And that is a, that's an eternal price to be paid. Uh, attempts to obey God's Word have never saved anybody, have they? Because we can't be good enough. The sin debt is far too heavy. Uh, but faith in Jesus Christ will do it all for us. I'm going to read a few verses here. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If there's anyone here and you've never trusted Christ, make that, make that a choice that you make today. John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave His only begotten Son so that people can be saved. Whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then John 3.18, it gets darker. God In John 3.16, God gave His only begotten Son. In John 3.18, He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There, in anyone in this life who has not trusted Jesus Christ, they're one breath, one heartbeat away from eternity. And that's a dark eternity to face, isn't it? All of us are one heartbeat, by the way, away from eternity. But if you've trusted Jesus Christ, that eternity is, is one of bliss. It is one of being eternally joined together with God and never separated again. But without trusting Him, that's a, that's a bleak eternity. And so I would, I would beseech anybody here, if you've not trusted Christ, or anyone who may be listening to this recording later, trust Him today because now is that appointed time. Let's pray. Father, thank You again for allowing us to look at this passage of Scripture. We thank You, Lord, that uh, as Christians, as those who have, have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we do have that path of obedience that we can follow. We thank You, Lord, for the blessings that come as a result of it. We don't, we don't obey You so that we can receive blessings. We obey You because we love You. And yet, Lord, what, what blessings You have uh, bestowed upon those who have chosen the path of obedience. But we do pray, Lord, uh, if as Christians we ever fail to obey You, if we follow the path of disobedience, we pray that You would bring chastisement, Lord. Bring us back to the place where we need to be. Put us on the right path again. Don't let us continue to dishonor You by sin in our lives. But Father, we also pray if there's anyone uh, under the sound of my voice who has never trusted Jesus Christ, show them their need. Bring them to that place where they'll submit to Him and simply put their faith in Him and ask Him to save them from their sin. Because Lord, You have told us You're faithful and just to forgive all sin. If people will come to You, You'll never turn anyone away. We thank You for that knowledge. And we ask that You would uh, go with us as we go our separate ways today. Lord, we're going to sing a song. We pray that you might draw people close to you, Christians or unbelievers alike, as we sing. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.